you'd open your Bible, the book of Mark. We're going to go back to Mark finally here after a number of weeks of guest preachers and uh, me being gone and preaching on other subjects. And we're in Mark chapter 8. If you would turn in your scripture there, I hope that you brought your Bible today and that you will follow with me from God's Word. Mark chapter 8. And our passage today is beginning in verse 34 through the rest of the chapter, verse 38. How about stand with me, if you will, please, and let's read God's Word together, okay? Follow with me, please. Mark chapter 8 and beginning verse 34. And when he had called the people unto him with his disciples also, he said unto them, Whosoever will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever shall lose his life for my sake and the gospels, the same shall save it. For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Whosoever therefore shall be ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him also shall the Son of Man be ashamed when he cometh in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now I preached, uh, the last time I preached in Mark from verse 35, or pardon me, verse 38, that we must not be ashamed of the Lord. And I talked about our culture today and and how that there are voices, many voices, trying to silence us. But I want to back up and take the most famous part of this passage. And I'm going to ask you to read them with me. Let's read it again. And that's 36 and 7. Read it. Everybody, good and loud, a great choir together, okay? For what shall it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Thank you. You may be seated. Many of you did not even need a Bible for that passage. It's so well known. It ranks right up there with the best known scriptures of the New Testament. And it deals with the issue of your greatest treasure. The greatest treasure that you and I have. Let me ask you a question. What do you consider to be your greatest treasure in life? What is the most valuable asset that you possess today? For example, some of you own a business, and you'd say, well, it's my business. Every week it brings in income and supports my family and and, uh, my livelihood and hopefully my future retirement. I may sell it someday. I own a business. It's my my greatest treasure. Others of you would say, well, along the line, I've acquired a beautiful home and I have some property, maybe some real estate. My greatest treasure would be in real property, my home and land that I own. Someone else might say, well, for me, Pastor, be I have a savings account. I've invested in a retirement program. I have stocks and bonds. I have insurance policies. I have things of that nature I would call that my greatest treasure. And some others might name something else. We'd all have different things. But the Lord Jesus Christ, the God of heaven, 
the one who created this universe, told us in this passage what is the greatest treasure. He says it is the human soul, that part of you that lives inside you, that you perhaps never think about because it never has a pain like your foot or your head can have, though it can have its own type of pain, but that soul that lives within you. And my goal in this message this morning is very clear and one point, really. My goal is to convince you that your soul is the most valuable asset and the greatest treasure that you have or that any man or woman anywhere could ever have, your greatest treasure, your human soul. If you look in verse 36 with me again, Mark chapter 8, verse 36, what shall it profit a man if he gained the whole world and lose his own soul? So we have the word soul there mentioned to us. So what is the soul? I have defined it for you numerous times, but sometimes people don't hear it. Sometimes they don't get it the first time. Let me again reiterate to you what your soul is because you have one, and I want you to understand it. The word soul comes from a Greek word, psyche, P-S-Y-C-H-E. We would spell it in English. The word psyche is the root word for psychology. A psychologist is supposed to be an expert in dealing with things of the soul. Dr. Harley's sitting back here. He's a psychiatrist. I never looked it up, but I've got a feeling psychiatry has as the root word also the idea of psyche, the soul, the soul. And what is that soul? Well, you know it's the immaterial part of a human being. By immaterial, I mean the non-physical part of you. I mean by that that a doctor can cut into your body and he can find any organ. There's not any organ in the body now that we don't know about and has been well documented in the literature, the textbooks, that they do an autopsy and they can check any organ in your body from the very important ones to the most minuscule ones. We know that we can find those physical organs, but when it comes to the soul, the physician can't cut and find your soul because it is, Im- it is immaterial. It is non-physical, and yet it is real. In fact, it is the most important part of you. And let me tell you why. The soul is what we would call the life force, the life force. I mean by that, the soul is what gives you life itself. In fact, people search. It's difficult today to define death. Is death the stopping of the heart and the blood pressure going to zero? Is death no brain waves anymore? What is death? It's sort of difficult to define. It depends on how you look at it. Now, my definition of death would be none of the above. My definition of death would be the soul leaving the body. That's when death occurs. The soul, that intangible, immaterial part of you departing from your body and leaving it. And I have a lot of experience in that now because I don't know how many times through these years I've stood by a bed and I've watched a person die. I've watched the life force ebb out of them. And there's something I've observed, and I'm sure the physicians and nurses and folks that have observed a lot of death have seen the same. 
I can't tell you what it is except to say I've stood there and looked at a person lying in a bed, and though they were gravely ill and on the edge of eternity, a moment later they died. And within a minute, they looked different. They didn't look like they did before death. And what is that? I think it's the soul, the life force departing from the body. And the body we know, the Scripture says, is just the house for the soul. It's the tabernacle of the soul and the spirit. You have a soul, whether you've ever thought about it or not, the life force. The soul, another way for me to say it is the soul is your personality. It's the real you that lives in this body. If you go through the Bible, you'll find different things. You will find that the soul involves the mind or the thinking process. Now, it's not the brain. The brain is the machine. But the thinking process is the soul, the ability to think the logical part of man, the reasoning part of man, the part with which we think of words and language. And right now, my soul is involved in this message because I am thinking and concentrating on what I want to say. The soul also involves the emotions. And so when I'm angry or when I'm joyful or when I'm filled with love or awe, when I look at the sunset, I hear a beautiful song by our choir. You know, there's not many dogs that ever enjoyed a beautiful choir number. There are not many tadpoles that ever said to his little friend swimming around, isn't that a gorgeous sunset? Because that appreciation of beauty and thought and art, that's the soul. That distinguishes man from the animal kingdom. So the soul is the mind the thinking process. The soul is the emotions, the feeling that we have, that we all have. And the soul is the will, the power to make choices. And so I got up this morning, I chose to shave, though I don't enjoy shaving, but I shaved. And I chose to wear this suit. And I got in my car and I chose to come to church. Choices, not just reflex actions, choices. Human beings only make choices in the sense that they do. And my soul is that immaterial life force that involves mind, emotions, and will. And the soul has one more important aspect, and I don't want you to miss it. The soul gives me self-awareness. I know that I am. I know that I exist. I sense the world around me and the world above me and the world beneath me. And my soul is the mechanism that gives me self-awareness. A tree doesn't know that it exists. I don't think. The last time I talked to one, it didn't. And trees don't know that they exist. They're not self-aware. Animals are not even self-aware like human beings are. But you and I have this capacity with the soul. We know there's a God. We, we, we think, we feel, we choose. Now, why is that soul so valuable? Look and see what Jesus said there again in verse 36. He's talking about the soul. Understand what your soul is because so many people never give it a serious thought. The soul, the immaterial life force 
that involves my mind, my emotions, my will, my logic, my reasoning, my rational abilities. And it's valuable because it's eternal. It is ever-living, never-dying. It is dateless, timeless, and it's eternal. There was a time when you were not, but ladies and gentlemen, there will never be another time when you are not. A thousand years from now, your soul will live somewhere in eternity, either in heaven or in hell, but you will be alive. You will be more alive than you are right now. I believe that with my whole heart. Now, in this verse, 36, look at it again. You see the word profit. What shall it profit? Profit a man if he lose loss. And so Jesus is talking about profit and loss when he speaks here in this passage. And what he's really doing is making a comparison between your soul and the entire material world. And so the Lord Jesus Christ basically says, all the material wealth of the world could not adequately compensate you for losing your soul. That's the bottom line, what he said. Let me say that again. Jesus Christ is teaching us here that all the material worth of the world, all the stocks and bonds and cash and real estate and diamonds and gold and silver and buildings and all of the material wealth that you can imagine, you could pile it up in one great pile that would be higher than the highest skyscraper. All the material value and assets of the world, pile them up. And over on this side, place the human soul. And Jesus said, if you lose your soul, all that wealth would not compensate for what you've lost. Because that soul will be here forever and ever and ever. Do you know how valuable your soul really is? Listen to me. You need, every one of us must regularly think about our souls. Your soul is so valuable that Jesus Christ said, don't exchange it for the entire material world, all the pleasures and all the assets that you could possibly accumulate. Don't exchange your soul for that. It would be a bad bargain if you were to do so. God says your soul is valuable. Your soul is so valuable that Almighty God, the Father, sent His only begotten Son into the world to die on the rugged old cross for you and me. Jesus said your soul is valuable. God says your soul is valuable. The Holy Spirit says your soul is valuable because he speaks to you about your soul. My prayer is as you listen to me, you're going to think about your soul and think seriously about your soul. We didn't come here today to be entertained. We don't have a lot of flashing lights and smoke machines here because there's something so far more important than that kind of thing. Your soul is at stake. Don't blow it off and walk out. Don't say, well, just another Sunday and just another sermon. No, I'm talking to you about the part of you that will be alive 10,000 years from now. Your soul, you must take it seriously. You must listen to me, or you will regret it for all of eternity if you don't. You must not neglect what I say to you this morning, ladies and gentlemen, 
Because what I say to you is more important than anything else. If you allow the operating table and the doctor makes a mistake, you simply pass into eternity. But if you don't get it right on this one, you don't even get to go to heaven when you get there. This is important. I hope you get it. The, Holy, the, the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life for your soul. God Almighty loved the world so much that he sent his son for your soul. The Holy Spirit doesn't convict me when I say, I'm hungry, it's time to go to lunch. That's not the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit doesn't speak to me and say, it's time to get your car serviced. That's not the Holy Spirit. That's a logical human ability to see reality, to see a need. But the Holy Spirit walks up and down the pews of the church or speaks to you when you lie down on your bed, or the Holy Spirit speaks in your heart when you drive your car. And the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit rises up within you, and he convicts you of sin. He says, you need to get right with the Lord. You need to obey the Lord on that matter. The Holy Spirit speaks to you about your soul, and he says, you're a Christian, but You need to live closer to the Lord. You need to live a godly life, a righteous life. You can't play around. Life is too serious for that. The Holy Spirit speaks to you as a Christian, even a good Christian. And the Spirit says, I want you to have love and joy and peace and patience and goodness and faith. And I want you to have self-control and I want, you to, I want you to have all those fruits of the Spirit growing in your life and in your heart. I want you to walk close to me. I want you to truly experience the joy of what it means to be God's child. And so God the Father says your soul is valuable. Jesus Christ the Son says your soul is valuable. The Holy Spirit says your soul is valuable. The Scripture says your soul is valuable. Your greatest treasure is your soul. Look in verse 37. Second thing I want you to see, what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? An exchange has the idea of a trade, doesn't it? So to trade your soul for anything else is a very foolish transaction. To trade your soul for anything else this world has to offer is a foolish transaction. All the world's material wealth will not compensate for losing your soul. Oh, the foolishness, the foolishness of bartering any part of your soul in hopes of gaining the world. Jesus spoke often about this. I'd like for you to turn to just one of his parables. It's in Luke chapter 12. And I want to just simply read to you about a man who had everything this world could want, a very wealthy man. And I'm not certainly picking on the wealthy because... There's no, no condemnation of the wealth, but there's a condemnation of getting your priorities wrong about your wealth. And in Luke chapter number 12, Jesus tells us this interesting story about the soul. Follow with me as I read, please. Luke 12 and verse 16. He spoke a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. 
This man was being blessed. His crops were flourishing. He thought within himself saying, what shall I do? Because I have no room where to bestow my fruits. I've run out of storage space. I don't even know how to keep and preserve what I've already acquired. And he said, this will I do, verse 18. I will pull down my barns, and I will build greater, larger barns, and there will I bestow all of my fruits and my goods. I'm just going to keep on packing it away. And I will say to my soul, well, at least he knew about the soul. Soul, you have much goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, just kick back, be merry. And God said to him, you fool. You fool. Now, in the Bible, Jesus warned us about calling people a fool. He's very strong about that. There's there's serious consequences about calling people fools. But on the other hand, God said to this man, you fool, because tonight your soul will be required of you. And who shall these things be? Who's going to inherit all this stuff? Because you're going to check out tonight. You're going to leave it all behind. All the planning that you've done, gone. All of these things will be gone that you have provided. And then Jesus makes an application. So, so, he compares it. He's now talking to you and me. So is he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Meaning again, that our relationship with the Lord, our the health and prosperity of our soul is far more important than the bank accounts that we have. I'll tell you three reasons it would be a very foolish transaction. Why did God call this man a fool? Number one, if you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. If you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. Because life is temporary, and life is transitory, and life is frail, and life is brief. James compares it to an early morning fog that's here in the morning, and then in a few minutes it burns off, and it's gone. George Bernard Shaw said so wisely and so powerfully. He was an atheist, by the way, but he understood this. George Bernard Shaw said, the statistics on death are quite impressive. One out of one. And it's never changed. Despite all our technology and all of our health care advances, the statistics on death, one-to-one ratio, We're all going to go there. So don't you think it would be wise to make preparation for that? If you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. The richest man in a little town here in South Carolina somewhere died. And there was a long funeral procession from the church out to the graveyard on the edge of town. And here comes the procession behind the pallbearers' cars and the police escort minister in his car and the funeral coach and the hearse in it. And then a long line of mourners because everybody in town knew the richest man in town. He owned the bank and a whole bunch more. And two old South Carolina good old boys are standing on the street corner. And one of them says to the other, how much do you think he left? His friend said, 
All of it. All of it. Yeah, that's it. He nailed it. All of it. You don't take one thing with you. Thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of you. And then who is going to have all of that that you prepared for or provided? If you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. You're going to leave all of it. Number two, if you could keep it, it's passing away. First John chapter 2 and verse 17 says the world is passing away. Jesus affirmed that, Matthew 24 and 35. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. But heaven and earth are passing away. And when we invest everything that we have psychologically and mentally and emotionally and, and financially and physically into this world, we're just investing in something we're going to leave, and we're going to leave it perhaps quicker than we think. Adrian Rogers said, the gnawing tooth of time and the foul breath of decay will ultimately take away everything that you and I have ever acquired. If you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. If you could keep it, it would pass away. And lastly, if you gained it, it wouldn't satisfy you. If you gained it, it wouldn't satisfy you. The things of time... I read this in a book one time, or I heard it one time, and I wrote it in a fly leaf of my Bible. And I've passed it down through every Bible I've ever owned, I think, because I want to always remember this little slogan. You might want to write it down. The things of time will not satisfy a heart made for eternity. The things of time will not satisfy a heart that God made for eternity. The old philosopher I think it was Augustine, perhaps, he said, there's a God-shaped vacuum in every person's heart. There's a place in you that only God can satisfy. If you gained the whole world, you couldn't keep it. If you could keep it, it would pass away. And if you gained it, it wouldn't satisfy. It's probably been 20 years ago, a long time ago. My phone rang one day, and A man's voice was on the phone who I recognize as a friend who doesn't attend our church. I've tried to get him to come. He says he goes to another place, but honestly, he doesn't go much. I've witnessed to him. He says he's saved. This man said to me, I've got all these problems. And I, I so much had admired that man. He has money. He has a wonderful education. He has a family. He has a flourishing career. I had so much respect for him. And we talked. And in the conversation, he put his head down on his desk, put his arms around him like that. And he sobbed until I was almost worried about him. I wanted to stand up and go around his desk and put my hand on his shoulder and let him know I was there. But I didn't. But I I just felt so much Sorrow for him, compassion. He was telling me about the problems of his life and his broken heart. Here's the point I want you to get. Up until then, I had, he had everything I wanted in life. And yet it didn't satisfy. He had everything that anybody in this room wants. He already had it, and a lot of it. 
but it didn't fill the empty spot. There's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart. And if it's not filled with God, it'll always be empty. There are people that you know and you've observed their unhappiness and their lack of fulfillment and the fact they have no joy. And yet they have all the things that the world says makes people happy. They've got them. But somehow it doesn't fit in that God-shaped vacuum. Your soul is your most fabulous treasure. To trade your soul for anything else is a foolish transaction. And number three, to lose your soul is a fatal tragedy. A fatal tragedy. Look at 836 again in your Bible. Mark 836. It talks about losing the soul. Losing the soul. A a fatal tragedy. A fatal tragedy. One of my favorite places in South Carolina is Charleston. I love to go there because I love history. And I'm proud of that city as a South Carolinian. It just, it just history everywhere. It abounds down there. You know, the Charlestonians say they're not proud of their town. They say it's the place where the Ashley and Cooper meet to form the Atlantic Ocean. So they have a pretty high view of things down there, don't they? And right in the middle of town at the corner, and you've, some of you have seen it, of Meeting Street and Broad Street, just a few hundred yards from the water, from the battery there, in fact, there's a church called St. Michael's Church. Now, that's the famous four corners of law that Ripley wrote about and made it famous all over the world. And the four corners of laws, on one corner, you have God's law, the church. On the other corner, you have the city hall, uh, the local law, Then on the other corner, you have the county courthouse, which would be the state law in the state of South Carolina. And then on the other corner, you have a federal courthouse and and the post office. And so you have all four kinds of laws, federal, state, local, and God's law, the four corners. And that beautiful, beautiful church, St. Michael's Church, I actually went to church there one Sunday morning when I was on vacation. And because uh, that's the most historic church I've probably ever been in. It was built in 1752. There's a pew there that says George Washington sat here and worshiped in that church. So it's quite, quite a historic spot. And out beside it, there's a little cemetery. The cemetery's not very big. It's maybe as big as our platform, choir loft area, not very big at all, but it has so many prominent people buried in it. It's just, I just, one day my son and I probably spent an hour, hour and a half walking through there and taking pictures and looking at it. Two of the signers of the Declaration of Independence are buried in that little churchyard. Two or three former governors of the state and several senators and very, very prominent people are there. John Rutledge and Charles Pinckney are buried there, both of them who signed the Declaration of Independence. But there's one tombstone there, and I've told you about it years ago, but I wanted to revisit it because I had an experience with the Lord standing there in that hot cemetery that day. Here's this gravestone. It's probably about as high as my head. And it's the gravestone of a man named James Reed Pringle. And here is the entire inscription. Here lies the remains 
of James Reed Pringle, ninth son of William Bullard and Mary Pringle, born in this city on 8th of October, 1812. In the recent war, he served as a captain in the 1st Regiment of the South Carolina Artillery. Subsequently, he became a member of the Bar in San Francisco, and he merited the honor of his profession. Now listen. But his greatest distinction was that he was a soldier of the cross, and he strove to follow his master in humble trust and holy living. He had much to live for in his wife, his children, and what the world calls fortune. But death was great gain, for he passed from the joys of heaven, or joys of earth, to the blessings of heaven, from the vanities of time to the riches of eternity on the 9th of June, 1867. You know, that's what Jesus is talking about. Here's a man who has it all. He had much to live for. He was a wealthy planter. He was a member of the bar, a lawyer. He had a wife. He had children. It even acknowledges he had what the world calls fortune. But his highest distinction, he was a soldier of the cross, and he strove to follow his master in humble trust and holy living, and death for him was gain. Only that can be said about a a sincere Christian. Everybody else, death is loss. If you live for money, you lose your money. If you live for fame, you lose your fame. If you live for power, you lose your power. If you live for family, you're going to leave them behind. But if you live for Christ, Paul said, to die is gain. What a wonderful inscription. As I studied this week, there was an old old hymn from my boyhood that came back to my mind. I'm so glad I lived at a time we sung all those great songs and hundreds of them, literally, little phrases of them stand out. And a little phrase stood out as I prepared and studied and prayed to speak to you this morning. The song's called, Have You Counted the Cost? There's a line that is drawn by rejecting our Lord, where the call of the Spirit is lost. As you hurry along with the pleasure-mad throng, have you counted? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost if your soul would be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own? Even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted and have you counted the cost? You may barter your hope of eternity's morn for a moment of joy at the most, for the glitter of sin and the things it will win, but have you counted And have you counted the cost? And while the door of mercy is open to you, before the depth of his love you exhaust, won't you come and be healed? Won't you whisper, I yield, 
I have counted, I have counted the cost. Have you counted the cost if your soul should be lost? Though you gain the whole world for your own, even now it may be that the line you have crossed, have you counted? Have you counted the cross? The book of Hebrews chapter 2 verse 3 says, How shall we escape if we neglect so great salvation? If we neglect the salvation of our own soul, what a tragedy. If we neglect the salvation after, neglect our salvation after we're saved, just as much a tragedy if we refuse to live a Christ-centered life. And if we neglect the salvation of others, our friends and our family and our loved ones and the people of our community, they're going to perish without Christ. In some cases, we'll be the only chance they ever had. We must not neglect our souls and our salvation. Your soul is the most valuable thing you will ever have. It is your greatest treasure. To trade your soul for anything else is a foolish transaction. And to lose your soul is an absolutely fatal tragedy. Our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. 